You're listening to Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi, where I speak to business professionals from all walks of life. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I am excited about this one because uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, the story behind this guest is that I was at the Punk Rock Museum about three months ago or so, going to an art exhibit there with a couple friends. And I was walking around. I was going upstairs, and at the base of the steps, there was this guy there high-fiving everybody on the way up. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I don't know who this guy is, but I want to get to know him because I like his vibe. I like his energy. And that guy turned out to be Jason Hammaker, who is a professional drummer, started playing drums at 10 years old. Now he's an entrepreneur, and he's got a rich history in, in the D.C. hardcore punk rock scene. So, Jason, thank you for being here, man. You are absolutely welcome. I forgot about the high fives <laughs> up and down the stairs. That is so funny. Very yeah. on brand, by the way. For it's like I don't know anyone. Everyone's getting, everyone's being greeted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh, awesome. Yeah. So. Let's talk about your background. I mean, you started playing drums at 10 and you're, you were heavily ingrained in the DC hardcore music scene and people that are listening who don't understand, can you explain kind of the ideology and culture of that back in the, you know, sure. nineties, early nineties, late eighties. Yeah. Late, like, uh, I got into it, um, late eighties. Uh, uh -huh. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, a, a dude that's like, I'm so old school, but I think it was like, Nine, like winter of 1989 you know yeah. like the 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 break but you know i was i was a metalhead kid i was really into hip-hop really into metal at like yeah. a very young age um with connecting to it completely on rhythm alone like beat uh that you know hence why i ended up playing drums yeah uh but I did not connect in any way, shape, or form to the lyrics. You yeah. know, like I'm got nothing to do. Like I was, grew up on the beaches of Florida. I had no connection to New York hip hop, right. <laughs> and, and the least. And then same thing with heavy metal. Like I liked a lot of the thrash bands, like Creator and Sepultura, and was kind of into the the mystique slash like shocking, you know, for the little bit that I was in, in, into scarier bands, but I ended up kind of falling into punk rock and hardcore, uh, and really feeling aligned with the message. And for those people who are like, I have no idea what this dude's talking about. Yeah. It's base. It's basically all about kind of, if you don't like something, and this is specifically with hardcore, not just punk rock. If you don't like something, don't complain about it. Just fix it. Yeah. Do something. Like, don't just whine, you know? Yeah. And so I have, I've been like that my whole life. And so it's more, um, it really aligned. I, I felt kinship with, uh, the spirit of doing things, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm recently, but I've been, you know, 
ADD, you know, my whole life and yeah. very, very, you know, struggled with school. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, not like being a student, but just all the things that come when you have a difficult difficulty concentrating. Yeah. But um, I'm a very intense experiential learner is something that I kind of understood over the years. And so it's like, okay, instead of telling me about something, I'm just going to go try to do it, you know, try yeah. to learn whatever. And that's, you know, that's hardcore. And so right. doing that, take, like kind of having this musical genre that is about doing, like doing something, which is like an interesting concept yeah. for me, you know, uh, it's about action. It's not just about, it's not just talk. It's about doing, it's about action. And right. so like, developing that, becoming, you know, becoming entrenched in that touring records, you know, all of that stuff. Like I was always the guy in the bands that kind of organized for most of the bands, like uh, would organize, manage, set up the tours, you know, figure out who to talk to and what city, where, and all of those and had, you know, as I think Malcolm Gladwell says, you know, the connector brain. Um, right. And so it's just something that kind of like evolved over, over time. And then, you know, here I am midlife <laughs> to jump to the end of a thing. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's interesting though, cause you know, I, I played music when I was younger too. And I don't think people realize the amount of work that goes into doing that. Oh my yeah, gosh. So, effort. Yeah. And and so again, it's like what what is your interaction with what you're trying to do? You know, like I'm always deepened. Like I'm not just gonna be in a band. We will be going on tour. We were going to be making records. Yeah. You know, I'm 16. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. I'm just inspired and energetic, you know? Yeah. And so um you know, to do anything of note, it takes a gut-wrenching amount of time, effort, and energy. My friends used to complain all the time. Like, dude, I want to come over to your house and just look at you being on the phone. Yeah, I was like, I understand it's not cool. I was like, but I'm booking tours. You know, it was just like the whole dichotomy of there's a social component there's an exploration for me. There's like a major social component to approaching music and being the organizer, manager, whatever. Right. There's the adventure component of like, okay, what's next? What's next? And then there's like the business decision and then ethical component of it. And that's, you know, that's where it's become successful or you hover and become you know, fade into the distance or, or become more of a musical influence. Yeah. And, and just kind of go that way. Yeah. Can you describe like the, the, the DC scene in the, in the nineties when you were doing it? Like, I mean, things are sure. so totally different now, but, but back then it was really impactful coming out of DC. There was a lot of influence. Yeah. Talked about like, talk about that. So I, uh, I moved to the D.C. area, meaning um, Fairfax, Virginia, in 1992. Yeah. I was 
beyond psyched that I was like, yo, I am moving to where straight edge came from. Like I was a straight edge hardcore kid. For those of you that aren't aware of that, that is a microcosm subcultural movement that's very anti-drugs. It's like it's a positive life, right? So anti-drugs, anti-drinking. It goes into all different kind of facets, but it started in Washington, D.C. in the early 80s with my favorite hardcore band of all time, Minor Threat, and I was moving to where they were living. I was very, very, very excited about that. And um, 92 was a weird year. I think about it. I think about these like uh, metrics a lot. You know, like 1992, when I say it, doesn't sound that long ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Over 30 years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but like 1992, Minor Threat hadn't even been broken up a decade. The Misfits had not been broken up a decade. Like, that's weird. Right. You know, like, it's, 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 uh, you know, hip hop was only like, 10 years old like it, it's it's we, like the 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 metrics of time for myself where it's like kind of i think about the age and this is not uh, a reference to me comparing myself it's just like interesting metrics like metallica for ride the lightning we're like 18 19 yeah it's like ride the lightning that's crazy Right. <laughs> and so um coming to the city, like coming to the area, because I, I lived in the suburbs, I live in Fairfax, Virginia, um full of enthusiasm and bright-eyed and getting caught in Fairfax County public school system, which was huge. Like my high school was five thousand people. There were like five or six high schools within miles of each other that were well over 4,000 kids per school. It was a ton of people. And I was so rigid in what I liked and disliked musically that there was one other kid in my entire high school that liked hardcore. One other kid. One other kid who did not play any music. You know, his name was CEO. Like other people like, oh, Quicksand's cool because they had just come out. Um, yeah. with a big record, but like, you know, maybe early Rage Against the Machine, but like, not like Sheer Terror, not like what I liked, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you know, you're young, you know, I'm 15 or whatever. And being public transport rides away from all these bands that I idolized for at that point, you know, maybe three or four years was game changing and then what was really fascinating was you know where i grew up in florida the subcultures were just homogenous it was like oh you're alternative right like but that meant you may like the misfits you may like nitsareb you could be kind of a goth person or mm-hmm. you're just like a bully or you're kind of everything in between but coming up here with so much more diversity of everything diversity of culture of music you know people you know all of the stuff um i was kind of shocked to find how subdivided 
all of the little microcosms were in the in this kind of subcultural sea. Yeah. And so um where the influence comes in uh of moving to DC and like kind of being around like it was extremely violent in the late 80s and early 90s. Like I I cannot stress how violent it used to be not like los angeles with the gangs and people being murdered at shows <laughs> but yeah. like the the amount of like physical violence and there was it, it was scary it was scary to go to some of these events like go to go to some of these concerts yeah and so meeting the bands like having uh getting to meet people that make that create anything that you like is invigorating. And right. then when they're cool and inviting, it's just, it's life changing. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, I can kind of spin that out. We don't have to do it right now. Like uh, about my experience at the Puck Rock Museum, I was floored. I yeah. had no idea what to expect, especially coming from Washington, DC, where I, you know, like, I'm not a pop punk guy. Like I don't, I, I don't follow it. Like I mean, of course, I know all the big names. I know No Effects and Pennywise and all stuff, but I don't listen to it. I it's yeah. not that I don't I don't listen to it out of protest. I don't like. I'm not like I don't like it. It's just I I just don't connect with it, and mm -hmm. so I it's just something I don't listen to very often. I mean, I still like it, but it's not my go to. You know. Yeah. And so. Um, you know, kind of circling back to moving to DC and kind of coming into this scene, it was polar. Like my experiences were polar and it took me a long time to kind of figure out kind of what was it? Like most of the negative experiences that I had, like back in the, like back in that era, DC had a very negative uh, reputation for being like, not funny, super, super stringent, you know, like no dancing, no moshing, no nothing. You know, mm -hmm. Fugazi was like at the height of being Fugazi um, and, you know, kind of holding sway over the entire world, <laughs> you, know? Right. you know, like, you know, world, like not like the globe, but like definitely our world here at home. And then, you know, their influence is, is obvious everywhere. Um but what ends up happening, and this happened with all, with a lot of movements or, or you know, cultural phenomena, is you've got what the bands and the leaders are saying, and then you've got the fans and the yeah. crowd, and which usually take it for much further than the bands, you know. Yep. And so a lot of my negative interactions was like as this kid going to these shows with people that are not that much older. And I'm just stoked to see any of it because <laughs> yeah. none of these, I was too young when any of these bands came to Florida. And so like, you know, to be chastised by people in the audience for trying to mosh, I don't know. I am 16. Yeah. <laughs> I am from Florida. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. I'm here and I'm psyched, you know, but then kind of getting a little bit older, starting band, like starting to play in bands. And meeting the band members, like meeting the Fugazi guys, meeting Grey Matter, like meeting all these like bands I grew up listening to, all of those guys were cool. Like yeah. cool, not just like, hey, what's up? Like engaging. 
Like, and mm-hmm. I've got like story upon story about that in a way that's not, uh, that's just unique. You yeah. know, it was, it was weird. And like, I, I kind of compare it Wait, hold on just a second. My children are coming downstairs. Oh, that's okay. Are you guys just saying good night? Okay. Come on. I'm doing an interview. she's 13 he's 10 all right good night guys no no no. i'm i'm home you can edit that out (laughs) or leave it in whatever you want no i like it it's natural (laughs) um but so with with all the music and you know all all of the stuff like i especially kind of reflecting as an adult and you know my you know, my son's ten. He's the age I was when I started yeah. playing music, and my daughter's thirteen. Like it's just again, it's not about remorse or I wish I blank blank blank. It's just like time metrics of how life moves. Yeah, and I'm absolutely fascinated by it all the time. Yeah, how do you? I mean. I want to segue into like entrepreneurship and a lot of the lessons you learned from that world, from being sure beats the band and um, books and does probably some marketing and promotion. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I did a lot of that too. You know, we all kind of shared in the effort and it's, it's hard. I and mean, when, especially when you're coming from the DIY world where you don't have tons of money, you know, and you're just trying to scrape by sometimes. So Right. What did you learn from from that kind of? Well, work? I've I've always been fascinated with marketing. When you know, I did not finish college. I went out of you know obligatory. You know, I went to a community college, yeah. and I was going for a marketing degree. Um, I am fascinated with the idea of kind of like the way big companies socially manipulate people to just purchase something like I'm not anti-capitalist, but I kind of am, you know, like I, you know, we will get into this later, you know, I have an art gallery now. And one of my little mantras is I don't believe in art as commerce, but communication. Yeah. Um, I know it can be both, but it's just, it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of layers to my little thing like that. But um, for me, a lot of the lessons that I learned was persistence yeah. first and foremost. Like it's hard to even kind of just like it. I don't think there is something that can be directly relatable to that experience of having to pick up the phone and call random clubs all over the world yeah. <laughs> to convince them to book a band they've never heard of right. and get paid. Yeah. <laughs> you but know, they don't know. It, they don't know at all. Yeah. Yeah. And no one else does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. and, you know, my first band I started doing that with, that was the band Frodis, you know, from, from here. Yeah. And, um, I, it's, it's such like a weird transition to go from, okay, I guess we should start trying to play <laughs> someplace. Yeah. Yeah. And then just calling Rand, like it's such a weird, and this is where the support, like one of the big lessons, uh, you know, I've kind of taken away and, and have applied to everything is about the value of 
of legit support. Like, you know, Discord's not like a mentorship, but like Discord had a tour list that Fugazi and Jawbox and Nation of Ulysses and everyone would keep active. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the service that they did for the community. You want the tour list? You would, you know, you have to go over. Like, it's a piece of paper that they would Xerox. Amy Pickering would, from Fire Party, would Xerox it for you. And before she handed it to to me, she was like, I know you're not going to do this. I was like, okay. <laughs> but it is your responsibility to keep this updated. And you have to let us know what's active and what's not active, right? Mm-hmm. And it was before the book your own life thing yeah. that I maximum rock and roll. And, and so it was just like, you just, I mean, it was weird. You called discord records and you know, maybe someone from Fugazi answers, like some like punk celebrity may answer the phone, tell you to come over and give you a stack of papers with a command to keep it active. That's yeah. just awesome. Yeah. Like as, as a music fan, like, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't think the Ramones did that. I don't think like, you know, like that support to strangers. Like we're not like, we're not seeing people, you know, like we are literally 12th graders, maybe even 11th graders when I got it. Yeah. You know, like no one knows who we are. We are literal children from the suburbs. Right. And, and the fact that it, it was that support from people that you idolized um, was everything. And, but when it comes to like marketing and things like that, that like uh, to kind of, uh, we'll kind of jump back and forth here. So like, you know, I fast forward to now and how we met, like I have an art gallery in DC called Lost Origins and the exhibit that I have right now, and Lost Origins has been open for uh, six and a half years. Mm-hmm. The, the exhibit that's up now, it's all of the original artwork and some of the artifacts and equipment from Inner Ear Studios that recorded all those bands and recorded all the historic DC stuff, you know, starting mm-hmm. in the late 70s. Um, Alec Bourgeois came in the studio and Alec was in the band Severin. I he was in some of the earlier stuff that was on Fletcher Head. I cannot remember every band he was in. He was in the Dusters, Severin. Um, and the very, very, very first time Brodus ever played in in the city, in Washington, D.C. I, uh, you know, we were in, still in high school. I had to get permission from my mom, like on a school night. You know, like in town, I got to drive myself. Like it's just, it was, it was a thing, you know, like yeah. for, for suburban family. Um, and we loaded in and it was upstairs. It was the full deal. Right. And there was like the, tr- the, was it the drummer? It was the drummer for makeup, guitarist for nation of Ulysses and the drummer of slant six were eating outside. Like, yo dude, that's Steve Gamboa. Whoa, like just starstruck. They're like, oh my God, that's Marge Marshall. Yeah, we were we're in high school. Yeah. And so we we have our demo tape. <laughs> we have our tape. I was, I was like, yo, we gotta go get them to buy one. Now, this is where the marketing component comes in. I my first like court not corporate, but like job with a real company was I worked for a, a local health food store called Freshfields. 
which kind of span expanded regionally and then got bought by Whole Foods in '97. But mm-hmm. we were still Fresh Fields, and so I, <laughs> I took our tape, and I bought stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of single hamburger patty, <laughs> uh, styrofoam crate like little plates yeah uh that you get single serving burgers on at a grocery store yeah. right <laughs> and i we had all these stickers that no one used in the back that just said shister grab great for the grill and so yeah. we hand wrapped every single frotus tape in a this little hamburger package and had a shish kebab great for the grill sticker on it mm-hmm. you know it cost us 15 cents yeah and we sold like a thousand of them you sold like, it them was, like that like like packaged yeah. like that okay yeah packaged like that and so we went up to dude for like nation of ulysses like oh you want you want to buy this he's like it's okay i was like okay cool <laughs> we just kind of walked off and yeah. then and then walking down the street was alec bourgeois and mark Haggerty from like iron cross and gray matter and he was also in severin like oh dude that's barking out maybe they want to buy one and we went up and we're like hey do you guys want to buy one one of our tapes like six dollars they're like great for the grill of course (laughs) and we were like that's the coolest thing ever and literally three and a half weeks ago alec came to the came to lost origins brought his children and I told his children that story so they could understand yeah. like how that like $6 literally changed our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, It was such like a moment. And, yeah. and Alex's response was, are you kidding me? You guys wrapped this stuff up. And like, it was in a meat package. Like, why would I not buy it? And like, that was like a very visceral lesson for us of like not to do a gimmick but like if we package it so it looks like something else so it yeah. looks other yeah then we take notice and that right. was a, like frodus was a weird band like not not like weird like negative but just we we were kind of hard to quantify we were kind of hard to define we played with all kinds of bands and you know humans want like simple and when something's not simple it's difficult. And when something's difficult, kind of hands off. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so that, uh, you know, towards the end, like, you know, we have a bunch of people come to shark and stuff like that. But, you know, it wasn't like some, you know, we're not Fugazi. We're not anything else. We're, like, we, we were more of an influential band, you know, in 2023 than we are from like big memory success DC hardcore thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Right. So how did that evolve into the, like, how did you, inv- I mean, obviously that taught you a lot about marketing and business and later on you transitioned marketing, out of, yeah, you transitioned yes. out of musician, being a musician. Right. So, I mean, I, I didn't want to, it got, it, it just ended, you know, bands yeah. break up, right. Whether you want them to or not. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'll say the single most, uh, uh strengths I learned is like knowing how to talk to people yeah like being in like being the dude that has to call everyone you know right. like borderline like you're like the sales guy right like yep. it's just it's a sales job 
Yep. And so um, both bands break up. It's like, okay, now what? I'm still young. I'm 23. Mm-hmm. I think it was 23, maybe 24. I was in Protus and I was in a, a straight edge band called Battery and on Revelation Records and all the stuff. And so um, now what? You know, you've got all these years, all these relationships in this music world. Do you just leave? I mean, I don't want to. Yeah. And so uh, a couple of bands needed help. And then I transitioned into managing bands. So I managed uh, the you know, metal band Darkest Hour from DC and cave in from boston yep um and a couple of other stuff like here or there i'd help out but it was one of those things of like i have a set of skills these people need it yeah how do i get paid for it you know like but that's not the impetus for me it's always like how can i help it's not like how can you pay me to help you right it's like there's a huge difference between those two mindsets like i'm like service first pay later right like i don't like uh, you know to a to a fault you know to it's 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 that is a weakness of mine it's not a strength right um and so i transitioned into to managing bands and the next thing you know like i'm you know booking tours doing record deals like doing all of that kind of stuff and then you know darkest hour went to you know victory records like big label and then cave got signed to a major label and then i was just like yeah i don't think i want to do any of this and then i bailed you know like i'm glossing over some stuff like there was a bunch of personal tragedy i had a, a, a love loved one pass away and all this kind of stuff that like leads to okay what am i doing and why right. i never really could answer the why but i could at least define what i was doing and so I just left, went on like basically soul searching, you know, sojourn for a couple of years and came back. And when I say came back, like I did a lot of international traveling without touring. Like I went to South America for a while. Very, you know, like I wasn't aware of this, but it's very similar to what Neil Pert from Rush did, where he started riding his motorcycle all over North and South America. I was in a very similar state. Yeah. Um, just kind of find, so, finding yourself outside of everything. But, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll cause it is, it's a pivotal detail. Like, you know, I had a fiance that died of cancer, like in my oh. arms, it's like straight oh. out of a movie. Wow. I was, tw- I was 24. She was 23. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole lot of detail to it and I'm okay talking about it, but, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's a hard, that's why both bands broke up. Brodus broke up because of that battery broke up around some other things but that was you know part of it just like a weight dude like she stored us yeah you know like everyone that's, that's heavy mm-hmm. like super heavy and then it turns into like what do you do like yeah. no one no one knows what to say like and and it's it's so unfortunate but like i have never felt more abandoned in my life yeah then those couple of months afterwards because no one knows what to say so people just don't say anything yeah and so as someone that's like wildly emotional to begin with you know and then that happens which is like unlocks the (laughs) it unlocks the empathy tidal wave you know like nothing hurts so much more than the wrong thing 
yeah. not the mean, you know, like, I feel like we, you can tell when someone's trying to be sincere and kind of jumbles words or says something that's almost offensive, but you know, they're not trying to be offensive, but like right. silence is the, like the silence is the worst for me. Yeah. And, and so like, I was just like, yeah, I went, I just went straight into management doing all this stuff. And I was just like, do I care about any of this? Like, do I actually care about this subculture music thing that I'm immersed in? Yeah. And I didn't have, and I didn't have an answer. And I, you know, I set up a bunch of stuff for both bands and then I bailed and I went, you know, I went to South America and I, you know, started the tour and, and I kind of, I, I, I got asked to be in this grindcore band in Florida called combat wound veteran. And so that was kind of like a tour. Like, you know, we were friends from playing shows together. Mm -hmm. I'd go back and forth, like fly down there, come back. There's like all this kind of, everything was just murky. You know, what do you do? You do what you know. Yep. And then that is the moment. Like that era is when I started to really lean in to doing what I don't know. That was a, it's a huge thing because lots of people operate out of fear. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't either, but I'm going to go walk. And if I have to turn left then you know, I'll know when I turn right to then stop and then turn left, you know, like, and so it was more about, you know, to quote the Shawshank potentially, you know, get busy living or get busy dying, you know? And like, I took that to heart. Right. And it was, and it was true. And so, you know, traveling and kind of learning how to survive on my own, I had never been anywhere alone ever, ever. Like tours, not alone. Like even if there's three people there to see you, they're still there to see you and you're with your band. Like to go somewhere alone, you can't speak the language. Like it was, it was tough, you know, all the challenges that go with that, but it's also liberating. And I learned that I'm also like super self-sufficient. Yeah. Or learned how to become super self-sufficient, self-sufficient. Yeah. And so, um, you know, all the lessons of that, like understanding how temporary things are, not to get super philosophical, but it was like, what the hell do I want to do? Right. You know, it was yeah. weird. It was, it was just, it, it was such a surreal thing. It was 23 years ago this summer. But you needed, so you needed that sort of discomfort though. Yeah. To open up your eyes more to new opportunities, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And, and it wasn't one of these things where it's like, I need to go get out of my comfort zone. It was, yeah. it was not this conscious decision. It was, right. I, I don't know what to do. My friend was going to South America, you know, he he was dating this girl that we all knew and she was, you know, going to school in Chile. She's Chilean going home for the first time. I was like, man, I'll go. What the hell? Why not? You know? (laughs) Yeah. And so so it, it, it was kind of like the perfect accident to, to, to dealing with all of it and, and kind of establishing my own identity. Like where I, you know, being it like when the moment when you're not in a band anymore is it is so weird. Yeah. So you know, I, you know, I'm at my house. I'm married. I met my wife when I was not in a band. Yeah. Like, and it, she's like, "What do you do?" And I, there's no answer. Right. I, I I don't know. 
<laughs> I yeah. played music. I played music a lot. Uh, yeah. It's just like, what is, you know, and she she knows the the world, but she's she's not she's not a punk rock girl or anything like that. Yeah. And so it's like there's a whole thing, and there, there's a whole series of behaviors that people either aspire to or unconsciously adhere to based off of a uh, what they wa- like <laughs> what they want to be identified as right as sort of that, like the countercultural influence in a way or not even just cal- what is it fake it till you make it right you yeah. know like there's all these like little you know axioms about being the part, you know, look the part to be the part. You know, I don't know all those things. You know what I mean? Like, like the yeah. whole like work, workforce calendar things, and like, yes, it is like that to some degree. But that means that you are looking at other people, or other things, other opportunities, other X, Y, and Z, and being like, okay, I want to mold myself so I can become that. Yeah. As opposed to, and this is where I'm fortunate to have this terrible portion of life where it was like, I didn't have anything I was aspiring to be. Like I wanted to be a musician that got taken away from me. Right. You know, like, and so it's like, I got to kind of evolve as myself, as opposed to what I was aspiring to. If that makes any, does that make sense? You wanted to find out how to be you instead of what you were trying to be. So so I'm going to rephrase that what you just said. It wasn't that I wanted, like I wasn't, I wasn't trying to do anything. Yeah. It's kind of Zen. You know what I mean? Like it it was about, yes, literally it was like, okay, I'm just going to go to South America and see what's up. Next thing I know I'm doing all this stuff. I've never camped or hiked alone. You know, I'm doing all these things not because I'm out there trying to be my best self, live my best life. I'm just naturally curious and experiential. You know, it's kind right. of wrote back, wrote back around, yeah. and also really, uh, you know, the that tragedy kind of unlocked unlocked this portion of my personality. But like, really, uh, you know, I think about you know f- philosophical. Yeah, you know, like really philosophical about things, and like taking a minute and really thinking about, okay, how does this affect me? You know, blah blah blah, um, and then taking those lessons and taking them to heart. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so like, but I'm 24, and it's yeah. weird. Still pretty yeah. young. Yeah, yeah, it's super young, and so you know, taking those things, and you know, people are like you know the the classic, what's your five year plan? I'm like, dude, I don't know, I don't have a five day plan. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not like Big Lebowski style, but like yeah. my plans were in a grave. Yeah. You know, like, what do you, what do you do? Like, and this is like, it was a very hard, not hard, like very difficult lesson to learn. Of like, okay, we are not in control. Yeah, We can plan as much as we want. That doesn't mean you give up. That doesn't mean you don't do anything. That means like, but I, I, un, I kind of learned how my brain functions when in the nebulous world, like the, like an in-between time, yeah, which is where I'm just coming out of now again, which is kind of interesting too. 
I gotta um, ask you. To, I want to ask you this though, because like, so for me, like when when I was, I feel like your creativity is this channel that's always flowing, and you just redirect it into what you do. Do you feel like that happened? Like when I when I was playing music, like I felt the creativity. It felt good to to play because I was using it all the time. But once that stopped, do you feel like okay, now it has to flow into another channel? Did you feel that at all? Hundred yeah. percent. But it took me. It took me a while. Yeah. Like the there's the I am I am not left right brain dominant. I'm I'm center, which yeah. is kind of which is kind of a weird one too, right? Yeah. Um, and so. For me, a lot of what I was drawn to with the music and being in a band was the management, the organization, the booking, the meeting people, you know, all of the labor that mm -hmm. it takes to make a band successful. I loved. You love that. Wow. Loved it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I still do all that stuff. I do yeah. it to this day. Yeah, You know, like I still function the same. So like the creativity component uh, that I'm going to restrict to songwriting, to like making music, yeah, like I, I, that does not translate to my photo career at all. It's a different, my, my, my photography and what the way that I like the other creative outlets that I you know became professional in do not equate to my me making music for me at all. It's mm -hmm. not, I, I don't think they're the same, but the funk, like the labor related to everything that I do, I would say is universal from like eighth grade to now Yeah, of just like calling, talking, meeting, discussing, seeing, yeah. <laughs> you know, just like the way that I function. Yeah. Yeah. That's so weird. Cause you know, for me, like the, I, I didn't really enjoy that stuff, but I enjoyed the creating side and the feeling you get when you play. Um, yeah. There's something like, I don't know, there's something that kind of, I don't know if it happens happens to you, but like you get kind of consumed when you're in that mode of playing. Oh my God. Nothing yes, else, dude. nothing else. There's nothing <laughs> else you can hear. Nothing else, but that moment. You know what I mean? I mean, it's so funny. Like I'm, I've always been, the nonstop talker, the nonstop joking person, yeah. you know, all of that. Like, I'm usually like, I'm always like joking around all the stuff. But when I play drums, it's like the one time, one of the only times I'm like ferocious. And so yeah. people that don't know me are like, dude, I do not want to talk to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that dude <laughs> is a pissed off person. Like, no, not even close. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so it's like what I also learned is like that's my steam vent yeah. without question. Right. Um, but it's like the the like I kind of break it up in a bunch of things. So there's so there's like there's performing without question is like a thing that I absolutely love. Yeah. Um you know, uh, I started doing, a, uh, I haven't done it for a long time, but I started doing some public speaking around some of my, my photo and cultural work that I was doing in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. I think, man, this is like touring without loading my drum set up so a flight easier. of stairs. Right. It, I was like, man, I got to 
I didn't have to bring my own microphone. It's like, man, you know, I just set up my own little merch table if I want to sell some stuff. Like this was, it was awesome. Right. You know, like that was the only thing that got me close. Like it's performing, you know, there's performing and there's the creativity of writing slash producing that I absolutely adore. And Mm -hmm. for me, nothing replaces that. Yeah. The, the, the closest thing to that would be writing like, like, uh, not prose or, I mean, not like, uh, lyrics, but like writing an article or, you know, sitting down and actually using the creative components of my brain to type words, you know, right. like, um, that is something that I really, really, really love, but I'm, it's writing is very laborious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you've got like the performance, you've got the the labor, and I really enjoyed the labor. I mean, I still do. Like I work, you know, we have to define work, but you know, like I, I spend a lot of hours doing a lot of things. Yeah. And I'm and I, you know, I'm okay with it. I that's the path I've chosen. Right. Um and I think that's the work ethic. <laughs> you know, I mean, you meet anyone, like that that are hard workers and there's different styles of hard work. I think my wife and I are like polar opposites on a lot of stuff. Like she's super hardworking as well, but just does it differently. Like we just do things differently. That's why we make a good team, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's uh, creation, then there's performance and then there's the labor. <laughs> Yeah. And I like I like all of it and I, I find them all separate and fulfilling in different ways. Yeah. I think like when you talked about earlier, like the ADD thing, like I think I also struggled with that when I was a kid. And it's weird how that gravitated me to music and art. Do you hundred oh, percent? Do you think they did the same thing? Like that's where you felt at home because you didn't feel at home anywhere else other than that. Did you feel well, like you know what's fu- well, yes and no. So what's funny is, yeah, I didn't feel at home anywhere. Yeah. You know, I've, ex- I've had to explain this to my kids as well. Like, you know, like I'm always the different one, not in a negative way. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I like my entrance into punk. is not like I was, at, and I'm not, I'm not denouncing this, but like, like, like me and fat Mike, like, dude, like we polar opposites and how we got into music. You know, yeah. like, like I come from a good family. You know, my dad's yeah. a minister. My mom's a social worker. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm the middle son of of a Southern Baptist minister. I got an older brother and a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Older brother's football, you know, sports guy. And then my younger brother's kind of sports guy slash wants to really be in the Marines. Yeah. And I'm just like the heavy metal loving drummer of the Southern Baptist minister. And yeah. like, <laughs> it's not bad. It's yeah. different. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, I've always been different. So even in all the hardcore bands, like I'm the dude that grew up Christian. Yeah. You know, and it went around a bunch of like staunch atheists that are just, and some people just aren't cool about it. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so it's like, it's again, it's not, it's not negative. It's just, I'm different. And so it has taken me a lifetime to be comfortable with being the, uh, like the different person. And, you know, like it wasn't apparent when I was younger. It wasn't apparent when I was playing music. 
it wasn't really apparent of of what that I mean it's you know it's the whole thing like I'm not calling myself Rudolph but it's like sometimes you just need to have the right moment to people it, 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 and myself to understand how functioning differently is valuable yeah. and not just a stumbling block yeah you know yeah that it's okay right yeah and and it's okay yeah yeah, yeah. And so, and again, it's like, you know, I know it's okay. And I know all this and that, but there's a difference between knowing something and feeling something. And yeah. I'm way more function of feel than I am of just not, of just knowing, you know, I'm far more empathetic, emotional, you know, all the stuff, all, all of it. Yeah. I'm like the sensitive middle-aged dude. <laughs> Do you ever like I feel like do you ever get a little down on yourself for being that way or feeling that way? Cause I do. Sometimes I feel like ah, I just can't always think like everybody else and it drives me crazy because I just should. You know what I mean? Do you ever feel that? Um, yes. Well, I'm gonna say kind of. Yeah. And so uh there's I have gone let me let me pause for a second okay i made a very conscious decision a couple of years ago to just be like i'm gonna actually i'm not gonna sh i'm gonna sugarcoat a lot of stuff anymore i'm not and it's not about being rude or yeah. not about being mean yeah. but just like being being honest with someone right? right and this all comes around people coming in and out of lost origins which is kind of the nexus of my entire life is now at this cultural art institution thing. Right. right? Yeah. And so, so many people are like, are just posers, dude, <laughs> just posers. And how do you I define mean that, that? Yeah. How do you I define was going to say, and, and I mean that in the way of like 2023 Instagram, like literally posing at stuff. You're not really there. Yeah. You're just like literally posing for the camera. There's that kind of poser. There's a 1990s version of poser, which just means you're an imposter trying to be cool, trying yeah. to be cool. Right. And the only, the only, and, and everyone is self-conscious. Everyone doubts. Everyone does everything. The difference is when you go from questioning yourself to having a persona to, to, convince yourself that other people may think that you're cool that's when it gets to be toxic and it, everyone can tell and it's annoying yeah you know yeah. like for me and so yeah. like i have gone way out of my way as you know the last couple of years to just call people out on it not in a negative way but trying to encourage them yeah here's 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 an example uh there's a big art um art event in dc the gallery is called transformer it's actually brian baker from you know minor threat and dagnass oh, bad religion now bad religion. like mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 his wife it's victoria like she's one of the most like like major art institution in washington dc super killer mm -hmm. awesome um it's slightly when i say it like they have an annual art gala every year mm -hmm. and it's it's invite only um 
you know, in a in a kind of small town, you can't show everything. I understand why it's invite only, right? Yeah. But it's like it's a major, it's like the biggest, kind of coolest. And when I mean kind of coolest, meaning like it's always a cool event. Mm-hmm. Not cool and like exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Not cool in a negative way. You know what I'm saying? Like not, not like elitist. Like, just like, yeah. Yeah, not elitist. It's just like it's just awesome. Like it's yeah. let me rephrase that. It is an awesome event. It's right. not a cool event. It is an awesome event. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's artist friendly, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I was so anti-art world for so long, I'd never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Not, not, you know, just I wasn't paid attention, didn't really know. And someone's like, dude, are you going to Transformer? I was like, I the movie? I said, like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and let yeah. me caveat this, like, I know Victoria, I know what Transformer is, but I just there's certain things that are so institutionalized, people just assume you know it. Yeah. Right. And like out of context, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I didn't know there was a new movie. Like, no, dude, the art thing. I was like, I don't even know what, the, what are you talking about? Like, you yeah. need to come. He's like, you're probably going to know everyone there. I was like, really? And like, I was just kind of shocked. It was just, it's one of those things. It's not on my radar. This is years ago. It was not on my radar. Didn't really know what it was. I knew it was a gala. That's it. You know? Yeah. And so my friend Chris took me. And I went and I was like, what in the hell? I knew like 80% of the people in there. <laughs> like yeah. Betsy, the bass player for XX, we're in a Misfits cover band. She's playing guitar at the top of a set of stairs. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. But but I'm using that as context to there's the there's the annual gala, uh, you know. And it's not invite to attend. It's invite as an artist to show and sell your work at the gala. Anyone okay. can, anyone can pay and come, right? Everyone, anyone can come and attend, and and you know all the stuff. But then there's an after party where all the artists are, and then um, if people, if any of the non VI, uh, not VIP, like any of the non artists or non board members or whatever want to come it's like you know a higher fee or whatever yeah and so i was walking in one night and this is kind of the nexus of when i had this moment i was like okay i need to i need to address this type of thinking yeah for the bet and so i was walking and it wasn't super late it was like 11 p.m 11 30 or something and this couple was walking out and i was i made some like dumb joke like oh you guys leaving so soon they're like, oh, are you going to the after party? It's like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, and this woman's response was, we're not cool enough for the after party. Oh. And I was like, according to who? It's like, what are you talking about? And then I yeah. got upset. Yeah. And she was like, well, and I, and I was like, what do you mean? And this, like, they're probably like early mid-50s, right? Yeah. She's like, well, you know, we don't really know anyone. I was like, what's that got to do with being cool? I was like, that's because you don't know anyone. That's not a judgment. I mean, that's got nothing to do with people being exclusionary. Right. And she she was not prepared. You know, she's in like this killer outfit and I'm <laughs> I'm walking in a suit. And But I was just like, look, I am one of the artists. Like, I'm coming to the after party. You're leaving because you're not com- – maybe you're not comfortable around us but you don't know any of us like, and I was like, I'm like, I can't speak for everyone inside. It's like, but it's pretty welcoming crew. 
why don't you right. come back in and, and hang out and rage like yeah <laughs> instead of just passing off your insecurity on this blanket group of people of yeah. being like oh well, i'm not cool enough you know yeah. and so i was like i don't know why i took that such to heart i felt i felt bad for the couple i felt sad for them actually mm-hmm. and it was like this kid it, we, everyone was just having a blast inside yeah you know just like the opening at punk rock museum you know yeah. like emotional fun who knows what's going to happen but it's not about people being left out you know it's like right. kind of the polar opposite and the lesson that i took from that and that i i realized that i do a lot it's not that i'm it's not that people are getting left out it's that we're leaving ourselves out right for whatever reason like we're yeah. And so to kind of circle back to all the other things, like being the different person, being someone that thinks a little bit different, does things a little bit different, and just has a hard, difficult time, like feeling quote unquote normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's just taken a lifetime of being like, that's fine. This is who I am. This is yeah. how I function. This right. is how I do it. You know, and I, I literally think that's just time plus you know developing confidence plus having a moment and all and just dealing with life yields to being in being in that space of comfort yeah no i mean it makes a lot of sense because i feel it too and i think you just have to you have to really i guess it's i hate to say it and sound cliche but it's like self self self-love right it's just acceptance of yourself and who you are really yeah and I think but, once, you, but, once you get there, it's no, better. Life is better. Yeah. I think also too, it's like kind of understanding, like we, we, we don't really know who we are. Right. There's like, there's like certain things that are, I'm sure there's, you know, everyone's like, I cannot believe I did, just did that. I cannot believe I said that. Yeah. Never said something like that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's like, you're, you're always kind of rediscovering these pockets of like, Oh dude, I didn't know I could do that. You know, like whether it's good, bad, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but kind of coming, coming to terms with kind of your foundational self. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, is that, did that, is that, I don't know if that term makes much sense, but like, I think, like, I think, I think it does like just kind of like, this is who I am at, at my core. Yeah. This is who I think I am at my core. And then the only way that you know that is if you've been tested. Right. A lot of people, a lot of people don't ever push the boundaries and like test themselves or have been unfortunate enough to experience something that tested their limits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a good conversation. I want to talk a little bit before we wrap it up about the new business because you're you're starting the foundation. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And so um the kind of cycle back to a couple of the other things that we've been talking about like i went from being in a band to being in this murky period and then uh started dating my now wife and then uh made several professional jumps and that this will lead to where we're going with the foundation um i became a massage therapist in Mm -hmm. 2002 um, you know, 21 years I've done it. I don't do it nearly as much, but I'm still active. I still see clients every single week. 
I'm absolutely, I love it. Being a drummer lends to being a very effective massage therapist. So mm -hmm. I became a massage therapist and then I started writing articles, taking photographs, um, and doing massage. So like I kind of started doing these three things simultaneously. And then, you know, massage kind of started taking off and things kind of, you know, wax and wane. Like I'll do more massage sometimes, then I'll do more photo sometimes. And then, um, over the course of time, 2005, I kind of stumbled into this lesser known hole in history where I found out, you know, the world's oldest Christian chant, uh, has it been professionally recorded and it took place in Aleppo, Syria. And so, <laughs> and so, and so I, you know, I ended up volunteering with the Syrian Orthodox church to go do all these recordings, uh, of this ancient tradition in the middle East and, and photographing at the same time. And all of that kind of escalated. Um, and so all of my photographs from Syria, are housed and 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 uh, not protected, but they're taken care of, and it's all digital files, right? Mm -hmm. By the Library of Congress, it was like this major thing where I got inducted into the Library of Congress, which was huge. Wow! And then uh, the uh, audio recording, all the audio recordings are with the Smithsonian Institute, with the Smithsonian Folkways record label uh, wow. at Smithsonian, and. Um, that box set of all of that, uh, it's not out yet. <laughs> it's been 18 years in the making. It'll probably come out like next year, but there's a whole, you know, lots of reasons why it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And so I, you know, I've got 20 years of all this arts and culture education, like experience. Mm -hmm. And then, and what leads to how we met, like, I kind of had this epiphany. I was like, man, there's a lot. Like, what is actual gallery representation for an artist? Yeah. You know, like I started, I started exhibiting my work. I started selling art pieces and stuff. And it's just annoying. You know, like a lot of galleries are annoying to deal with. They're not that. It's just about how much, you know, how much do you sell your pieces for? And then a lot of my work is all cultural based. It's about building cultural bridges. It's about seeing people for being people, not for what language, you know, and this is mostly because I'm in these places and cannot speak the language to the other people. So I'm just communicating hand gestures, whatever, you know, yeah. like just communicating as humans, not, uh, and so fast forward, my wife and I get in this like real estate transaction. We we have a building that I run down the street, bought a mixed use commercial building, and we turned the second floor into Lost Origins Gallery, kind of on a whim. And it, you know, quickly became a thing. And so traditional gallery representation is somewhat, you know, I, you know, Lost Origins being the gallery, just sell someone's work it basically manages the career of that artist for a specific body of work and then take half and mm -hmm. i've always felt that that half was unfair mm -hmm. um like from the artist standpoint i was like okay cool like 
you do some things for me and you've got a you've got a room and a wall well, what gives you the right to take half of the meager income i'm getting from my creativity right I, why and so i started to run the gallery a little bit differently i would give the artist 80% instead of 50% which mm-hmm. then allowed creativity to blossom because now let's say like if let's say it's a painter like like a painter wants to do a solo exhibit that's expensive from paint to canvas to all the stuff that stuff's expensive so right. instead of thinking like what's someone gonna buy i'm always like dude you know do one or two pieces Focus on that that you think can you can sell and then sell one piece that covers all your expenses and then just do whatever. Yeah. And so kind of empowering, empowering creativity is something that I've really leaned into Yeah. across whether it's someone that's super famous that hasn't really had that positive experience to someone that's never done any of it and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, again, like kind of taking these learned lessons from punk rock and hardcore to all these like various business ventures and kind of ending in this cultural institution that I accidentally started. <laughs> and yeah. I look at what it wasn't. And, and this kind of harkens back to like one of the things we were talking about before. It's not like I've got this five year plan of like, this is what I want or need to do. Yeah. It's about legitimately for me, what's the problem? How can I help? And what can I do to make something better? Mm -hmm. I've been like that my whole life. And so uh, learning again, you know, I do things a little bit different. You know, I'm in my own world. I literally built my own world not out of protest, but more just like out of being me. Right. And so learning that my world translates to something like the punk rock museum Mm -hmm. where like I'm helping curate those temporary spaces was huge, was huge for me. Yeah. Like, you know, like, again, we, like there was, we spent so, I spent so much time with this, with not just Mike, but like the staff, like everyone there was killer killer and i did not know it was a rare moment where i didn't know any of these people until we met in person yeah you know like especially as like being you know late 40s like you tend i tend to deal with and work with people that i know right and then you meet people and they they become friends or close or whatever but like straight up strangers from the punk rock world and they come up like you know punk rock celebrities i'm like well this is just a weird scenario like i hope it's going to be cool yeah. And so having that experience and in represent is the first time I ever represented an artist. You know, on like I managed, like I managed Rick Yercoli, like the artist that we've got at the Punk Rock Museum. Right. So it was weird, dude. Like, you know, I roll in, I'm not the artist, I'm not in the band. I need to make sure I'm taking a backseat and making sure Ricky is like front and front and center, you know, right. like not me. It's like, that is a difficult, but dude, as the drummer that will talk for 18 straight hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that is a difficult seat. To, I have to like seatbelt myself, you yeah. know? 
Yeah. Um, but so all of that 20 years of work with all these major cultural institutions, I was like, you know what? I think I could start, I could do this for real. Right. If I became a non, if I became a, I function as a nonprofit anyway. If I yeah. actually became a nonprofit, then there's all the benefits of the 501c3 and the donations and all of that other stuff. But then it kind of feels like to me, like uh, the next step to just kind of legitimize all these kind of cultural aspirations. And so the largest law firm in the country, I'm super excited about this, uh, has taken on the project pro bono. And so wow. we, we are actively, I've got like a team of four attorneys and, 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 and it's because like, everyone, you can just do that on legal zoom. I was like, yes, but this is a far more difficult. This is a, this is a far more nuanced foundation. And yeah. so, uh, you know, my wife and I were fortunate enough and I cannot even begin to tell you the insanity of doing this. Like, and we bought this commercial building. I had to start a construction company. I, I ran a construction company for eight years. All of the craziness related to that, that yeah. you know, that all goes away. So, but so it's like uh, this law firm took it on because there's so many. You know, I own the building. I'm in the building. There's a there's an apartment upstairs that was at the Airbnb, but DC law just changed, so all of a sudden we can't Airbnb it the way that we used to. I was like hyper annoyed about that. But then yeah. it kind of forced into this idea. I could start an international artist in residency program in the heart of Washington, DC. There's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of places that can offer something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I'm at the very beginning, you know, I don't have, you know, I like part of my exercise tomorrow, I'm going to finish up my, uh, try to finish up my, um, you know, mission statement and then we'll, we'll file the paperwork and start the development on everything. Wow. But like, it's my, I had this, uh, very weird epiphany about two years ago, a very famous Therian singer died. Um, you know, no one from the United, unless you're Syrian or, or you know Lebanese or like Middle Eastern, you would know who that is. But it, there's there is no cultural connection at all to the United to, to you know Western music. <laughs> you know, yeah. like this, you just wouldn't. Know. Um, and I accidentally was at a wedding with this dude, right? Wow. And so the um NPR show, The World, I like when when I started doing all this work in Syria. I was on a lot of NPR. Like I was on like almost every NPR show. It has been a weird journey, dude. Mm -hmm. And so the world uh, from Boston had learned about, you know, the death of the singer. And so they called me to be like, Hey, do you have any stories? And then the producer said this, which was like, she was like, yeah, I looked, uh, I looked online. It looks like you haven't really been doing anything. What's been going on. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I have opened, I've built, opened up, managed, and run a commercial building, an art gallery, like like all of this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it was just, and because that's not in, in the public or as obvious, it was just like, oh, you haven't really been doing anything, right. you know? Um, and so 
all of that kind of hit me of like, I would like to, to fuse everything that I'm involved in. And it can be. And like starting an art, like it covers punk, it covers anything creative, it covers incur- like, you know, like moving things forwards, cultural building, building bridges, and you know, all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought about it for a long time. One of the managing partners of this huge law firm apparently comes to the gallery all the time. And we started talking and he was like, send me some paragraphs and I'll pitch it to the partners. And if there's a vote and they think that this is a good use of, you know, uh, a good challenge for our, our staff, then we'll, we'll pick it up. And I was like, what the heck? And so, you know, months ago I got a letter of engagement from this law firm and we've just been kind of going ever since. So like, yeah, it's weird that I'm getting ready to start a whole new company again wow <laughs> <laughs> well it's been a great conversation I, I would love to do more with you sometime jason um whenever wh- whatever you can pen me down <laughs> yeah. yeah it's hard because you're busy but um so where can people if people are interested in the the gallery or the projects you're working on where, where can they find you where's where's the best so show? so uh, I've got lostorigins.gallery yeah. website, right? And that's that's the website, lostorigins.gallery. All of like all of my cultural work uh, is on lostorigins.com. Okay. And lot and just to kind of give a quick explanation, Lost Origins is the name of my production company that I've had for like eighteen years. That's kind of like the the umbrella for all of the audio work and the photo work and in the cultural speaking you know all that stuff is lostorigins.com mm-hmm. and lost origin productions that's how i get hired as and then my brick and mortar is the lost origins gallery and so i am fusing all of that for the benefit of everyone else <laughs> uh as lost origins foundation okay and so there'll be a website for Lost Origins Foundation soon. Like, you know, I'm on in, like Instagram, like follow me as an individual uh, yeah. in, in Lost Origins Gallery. It's basically me, you know, hopefully not for too much longer. I'll have some staff at some point. Yeah. Um, but so that's basically like the, the mean ways that I communicate with people. I'm not that great on email, as everyone will tell you. I think I even got ribbed about that at the opening of the exhibit. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. Um, I, emailed, I emailed you a couple of times. It took a while to get back, but that's okay. Yeah, and like there's like, but like, like, like I'm like I am. I have a series of the way that I've been describing, and this is one of the reasons it's been so difficult to like. I am now being treated like I'm on meds for, for ADD, mm-hmm. which is like it's insane like yeah. in a great way so like now i can like finish things so like i'm like yeah. going through 15 years of like treading water and just finishing stuff yeah but because there's so much stuff and it's not like anything's been neglected neglected it's you know it's not like i'm not i'm functional yeah. but it's it's about like you know putting those last three nails in 
Right. I got so many three nail projects. I just got to hammer out and be finished. Yeah. You know, and then having children and family and all these other things, like things just stack up. I, yeah. you know, my email backs up, like everything gets overwhelmed. So you just text me. Then my phone breaks. Yeah. <laughs> God damn, it's, it's a lot. And so I was like in this rush to get, you know, no sleep to Hawaii. Yeah. And then we went to Hawaii a couple of weeks ago and then came home. And then the place we went burned to the ground. It's yeah. super weird. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's how you find me. Instagram, both the websites. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the lostorigins.com website's old. Like it's not active. It's just kind of a stagnant thing. Mm -hmm. And then the gallery site's always kind of, it's a new design. So I'm back populating all the, the former exhibits, mm -hmm. but you know, it's got like, you know, I do a whole host events and comedy nights and film screenings and it's a very active, active space. And so, uh, I'm more active on Instagram for that. Cause it's much easier to just do a post and roll as mm -hmm. it is to load all the back end on a on a website so that's do you ever do any like live streaming from the actual gallery or from the location ever do i ever live stream yeah like live stream from the actual uh every we don't live stream no part of uh, i would do it if it was like the right event yeah but with the live, like I'm like, I was very anti Instagram for the gallery for a couple of years. Yeah. Right. I was like, you should just come in and look at stuff. Why don't you flip in through the stuff? You know? Right. Yeah. It's a better experience. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And it's all like the exhibit at the museum, like Ricky's exhibit. And so for those of you that are listening, this guy photographed the very, very beginning of punk rock and new wave in the late seventies, early eighties with ultra unbelievable iconic photographs that had never been seen before in public yeah until the, the night you and i met that, <laughs> you know? and they're amazing like, these photos they're amazing like it's insane yeah. like blondie the clash the, yeah you know like all the like sid vicious you know all of this all of these things but when you're so used to seeing these like iconic musicians and in, in artists it's just when you're looking at it on your phone, you're like, oh, that's cool. And flip through. But when you're like looking at it on a piece of paper, yeah, from an from a negative where you're kind of forced to look at something, yeah. It's a different experience. It's literally a different experience. Like totally. In every way, in every way, shape, or form. And so um that's why I I don't do like digital uh exhibits yeah. with the gallery. People are like, you can put all that stuff online? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of it's a little protest. Part of it is I don't have the bandwidth to do it. And the other part is I don't really, I like, I think it's a disservice to the creation, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I can you agree know, with you. I can agree with you there. I totally, I can respect that for sure. I think there's, you know, there's magic. Like when I was there at the, at the punk rock museum with you and I was just looking at these photos, there's just a moment where you just, you have this feeling, you don't get that looking at your phone. It's just different. Yeah, at all. Yeah. And then I, you, so one of the most impactful moments for me of that, of my year, to be honest, and I haven't even, I haven't, I have not talked to Mike about this. So I like when you, any business, right? Like it is, 
chaos to get to opening anything, right. especially a building, Yeah, you know, building codes, all that stuff. Like, you know, that, that museum was supposed to open up in January. Yeah. We were there in like, we were like, what, April? April, May. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like end of April. Yeah. It's like months and months and there's all the money and the stress and there's so much stuff that is a weight to getting anything open to starting any business, any venture. Yeah. Like that was, it was not billed as such, but that was the soft opening for the museum was that weekend. That's why everyone flew in. Right. And for me being in those gallery spaces, looking out at all the staff that you know, we've kind of come to love and adore over the last two, two days at that point is when it went from, doing everything like we need to do this to get this like it was it was less a series of steps to having a breathing moment yeah understanding what they just made like dude mike was in tears most of the both of those times everyone talked right it went from like oh we're doing this museum blah 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 and like you're dealing with objects. Yes, we've you know you've got like kind of like the the celebrity guest tours and stuff. That's different than having two artists in tears because they we've all done this community. We all come from this same community, and this is the first time and manifestation of like understanding like this. This is the complete definition of community yeah. in a way that that i don't think any of us mike especially had had a minute to digest yeah until until that moment you know right. and like i'll never forget it i was like i was like this is some it, it like it goes from being your vision to your i mean and this is the metaphor for everything that we do right it, it, if, you're, if you're an entrepreneur if you're a business owner owner you know, it goes from here's my idea to how do I actually do this idea to the pain of making the idea, yeah. like building it, like building is annoying, right? You know, build it, whether it's physical, like wood, like actual construction or conceptual, like what is the business plan? Like all that stuff. Like it's difficult and it's tedious and it's annoying whether you're good at it or not. Like it's just stuff that has to happen. And there's like this tidal wave of responsibilities and then the doors open and then there's like, okay, I guess I'm open. And then there has to be a lull, some breathing room, whether it's an art gallery, a tech company, whatever, to assess or understand what just happened. Right. And to be a for me, like to be a part of that moment. And I mean, you were too. I mean, that's and that's what's so weird. Right? It was you've so, these, like yeah. you've got these like markers of time where it's like we were at a very specific moment in time, and there was not hundreds of people right on purpose, 70 max, maybe, you know, yeah, of everyone in a very real, very heart, I'm going to say life affirming moment that does not happen 
unless you're in a room with humans. Yeah. And it's weird how, you know, we, I, I think we all felt, at least I did, I felt somehow connected to everybody there. Like there's just something there in the air. And I don't know what it was. Yeah. But it was just a really good feeling. And I felt like everything from my past, my childhood, and just, just in the music and everything just came together. And it was just really special. Yeah, it was, it was super. I think about this all the time. Were you there when Mike and I went into that Pennywise room and jammed for a second? No, I was in there with Mike for a while and some other people, but I, no, I wasn't there when you guys were there. No, oh, that, no, that was a couple of days later. So okay. like, you know, they've got that, that Pennywise room or whatever. Yeah. And you know, I was like, yo, we should go jam or something. I mean, you don't want like some like famous celebrity rolling in here and try to like start the Pennywise, you know, start jamming yeah. and then have nothing work. And I was like, go get Mike. I'll jam. You know, Mike and I can play, dude, he does not know me. And then the guy from uh, I can't what's his, I, I, the guy with the ski mask on that was doing tours that weekend. Oh, from Masked Intruder, yeah, yeah, from Masked Intruder, Blue yeah. from Masked Intruder, right? Yeah, it was me, Blue, and Mike. Like, dude, those dudes don't know me. Right. The fact that Mike got on a live stream, the first live stream from, I mean, he just had to take my word that I was that I could play drums. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, I have such a different view of him. Like, I, I didn't have a really, I didn't have an opinion. I was like indifferent, and I yeah. just knew some no effects songs. But like, dude, I there's not a lot of people that would go on a live stream of your own museum playing with two with two people you don't know musically. Right. That's huge. And yeah. the fact that he did it, it was cool. Yeah, we yeah. just like you know, it's yeah, I think it's on my Instagram. It's on there. It's on both of our Instagram feeds. But like, we just made up like, we just made up a little thing, right, right. there on the spot, you know. Yeah. And it was killer. Yeah. But like the, it's again, willing to take risks, like kind of having that intuition of trusting who you're working with, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Right. And like all of that, and it just kind of turns into its own thing yeah and was, just like that jam it's very isolated it's probably a one-time thing and yeah. it's just kind of cool magic when it finally happened but there's all this stuff off camera you never see stuff doesn't work drums are falling apart guitars can't stay in tune it was like 20 30 minutes of like getting to the spot where we can even play on equipment that works right right yeah that's not what i put on <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking, the, you know, I put up the two minutes of us just like jamming and kicking it, you know. Yeah, I was in that. I, I was thinking about the other, the jam room with all the instruments from the the. Oh, like, yeah, I yeah, was yeah, in the, there. all the guitars and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I mean, that was, I so again, like, I was kind of like, that's cool, but you know, I don't play guitar. I can't like that. Doesn't that didn't hit me? Like, if I walked into a museum, I'm like, this is John Bonham's drum set. What would you like to play? It's like, I would probably pass out. I don't know what yeah. I would do, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, the day before we left, there was a, a this kid was in there. He was like 12, right? Yeah. And he was in, he was in, I think he was in a Megadeth shirt. It's in a Megadeth shirt, like a new, like a newer school Megadeth shirt. Mm -hmm. And his parents were in the room and 
it kind of hit me. I was like, I cannot imagine having something like this, walking into something like this. When I started to get into music, there was yeah. not like there, it, there was nothing like that. Like right. that you could interact with instruments from your heroes. Yeah. Like there's like that. There was that. Like I cannot imagine. And so, like as to kind of kind of continue with like that that kind of understanding of what has been built. Like so many people from from DC, like how was it? How was it? Like it looks stupid. Like so many people just dismiss it because they're. And then this is a marketing thing. The way that they market the punk rock museum, in my opinion, is not nearly as as reflective as what the place actually is. Right. Yeah. Like I was floored. Yeah, it's be, a different. Yeah, that, but the way it's marketed is different than you've got to physically be there. And yeah. Feel what it's like to be there because it's 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 a special moment if you're connected to that music yeah 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 well thanks jason it's been a really good conversation um i'm excited yeah man to keep in touch and keep talking. <laughs> i'm i'm glad we finally got to do it and i apologize i'm so hard to pin down that's okay um yeah we are actually i mean i don't you you live in vegas right yeah i live in vegas yeah yeah i mean i'm gonna be there in a couple of months like we're having a big closing party for the exhibits Oh really? Yeah, we it's like that. that. For, it's like Hang October, out. like seventh. Okay. Like whatever that, like that first weekend in October, like Angela's bringing a bunch of those like Latino hardcore bands from LA that are in the exhibit. They're playing in the parking lot. Wow. You know, like Ricky and I are flying back out. Like we're doing. Like I, I don't know officially everything that's happening, but I'm definitely coming back. Yeah, it'd be good to see you. Definitely hang out yeah. again. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> cool all right jason well hey if you guys are listening and you liked jason his stories and everything he's got going on go check out lost origins look up jason hammerker and uh yeah as always it's been a good conversation thanks so much jason thanks man hopefully this was insightful it was <laughs> <laughs> did you enjoy this episode i hope so if you want to support the podcast you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ryan says, thanks. Your support is appreciated. And hey, even if you don't buy me a coffee, I'm happy to have you listening. So keep it up. And thanks again.